And pretty much stay in Matthew 28, verse 11 to 20. Jesus' plan for the church. It says, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night, and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and so and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. They're, the Jews were covering up the fact that they knew that some people knew that Jesus rose from the dead and they're lying to themselves. But here's really what we're going to focus. Actually, verses 16 to 20 is our focus. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain, where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This passage here shows us something. It shows us, again, the, the, the whole deal here is Jesus' plan that he has for the church. Now, I want, to get you, I want you to envision, kind of have a picture in your mind of what's happening in the, this whole last chapter. It reminds me of... Um, I've gone, I don't get to go as often as I'd like to, but occasionally I get to go to a, a retreat somewhere. Um, and sometimes it's been in Flagstaff or Williams. Uh, the camp that we, the Christian camp we go to, West Branch is now in Williams, and they would sometimes have a men's retreat. In fact, I think one of our sisters from our church is at a ladies' retreat right now, or ladies' getaway. Um, and so, you know, you'd go to a, you go to a retreat, and we're kind of up in the mountains, and it's nice, you know, it's a little thinner air, but it's cleaner air. And it's uh, quiet. And you go up in the pines and maybe stay at a cabin where the camp is. Or there was a time where the camp didn't have an actual location. And we'd stay near, I'd stay in a hotel and we'd meet in a school for the, the messages. But in this case, we could stay at a camp, like West Branch Camp, and, and um, uh, stay overnight and hear some preaching and fellowship with some guys and play some games and and, uh, you know, do a hike um, or just get extra sleep. That's always nice, right? Well, whenever you get away from your house or you get away from your, your normal routine for a few days, it's good. It gives you an opportunity to rest your body. gives you an opportunity to reflect on what you've been doing, reflect on what's ahead. It gives you an opportunity to refocus on what you should do when you get back. And so having a, like a, a retreat, a mountain retreat, or a, uh, some people do it at a resort retreat, that's, that's pretty good. And as a general rule, that's good for, for a human to do, you know, especially for us as Christians to pull aside, unplug, um, come apart from the other stuff you've been attached to, and take a few days, two, three, maybe a week, and do something different that's out of your normal deal and you come back and you can be refocused. Maybe get a better plan, you know, refocus on 
the plan that you have in your life as far as like, all right, I'm going to line up my finances better, or I'm going to do this better in my job, or I'm going to have this goal in, in buying this or attaining this. A retreat is a good thing. Here is a retreat. Here's a mountain retreat right here that you just read about from verse 10 uh, to 20. It's a mountain retreat. What happened? Well, you have in this, during this week or so of the life of Christ, he had spent three years with these 12 disciples in particular. One of them turned out to be a phony and betrayed him and, and uh, sold him for the silver. And, um, and so Jesus now has 11 disciples because Jesus had committed suicide. And these guys, these 11 disciples, their life was shaken up. They were scattered. I mean, they were this, used to this routine of being with Jesus. And, and there was sometimes some hostility in the air, but they were safe with him. And then the night came when he was taken. He was apprehended in the garden, willingly taken, of course. And by these soldiers that were authorized by the priests, they came in and apprehended Jesus. He was betrayed by Judas. And they took him away, and the disciples all fled. They scattered. And the Bible says that's exactly what was going to happen. He was a shepherd. They're sheep. Their shepherd's gone. They just wander. And they're out of sorts. They're out of balance. They're, they're uh, kind of shaken up. Their rhythms messed up. Their emotional rhythms probably messed up. Their mental rhythms messed up. They're all out of sorts. Well, this is all meant to happen. Jesus is taken. He's tried. He's crucified. He rises three days and three nights. After three days and three nights, he rises. And, they, and, he's, he's, it, uh, and earlier in this chapter, it shows that women came and they, <laughs> they went to visit the tomb. And an angel says, I know who you're looking for. He's not here. He told you he was going to rise from the dead. And they were like, whoa. And, and these women are standing listening. And the guards, they fainted. But the women are listening to the angel. And so they, the, 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 the angel says, go tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead. And, and they go to do it. And, and um, long story short, he says, go tell them also that uh, he's going to meet them in, in Galilee. So they were in Jerusalem. They were going to do a retreat. Get out of Jerusalem. Get out of the big city. you know. And so Jesus, I'm going to meet you all in, in, in Galilee. Now, he did do some, appeared to a few of them. But in this story, he, he, he has them all go a little north, maybe 70 to 100 miles. Get out of town. And he's going to meet you in Galilee in a mountain that he's appointed. And that's what they do. So they meet him up in the mountain somewhere. I don't know which mountain. doesn't matter. But we get the idea. And uh, he's there. And they're there at C11. They worship. Some doubted. And he has a little mountain retreat. And uh, they couldn't forget this one. Because he came and spake to them, and he gave them, he let them, he let them relax by getting out of the big city, so to speak, and getting away from the place where they felt uh, all this tension. He let them reflect, no doubt, just walking. You know, you walk for several. I don't think they took a chariot that day, but they walked probably, or maybe by horse. It gives you a lot of time to think. And then when he's with them in that mountain, he gave them a, a focus. He spake to them. We just read what he spake to them. It could have been more than what we actually read, but this is the gist of what he's told them. And he tells them, this is my plan. I have a plan for you all. They all were the church, the early church, uh, in its kind of infant form. I have a plan, and his plan is essentially something that he, that, that he said a couple other times to them before he rose, before he ascended. 
And the plan is essentially, this is you all are my disciples, and my plan is that you, my church, are going to, your plan is and focus is to communicate the gospel to every person, everywhere. That's my plan. I'm leaving. You don't need to know when I'm coming back. He says this in Acts 1. It's not your business to know. But it's your business right now to do my plan. And my plan is to communicate the gospel to the whole world. That's my plan for you, church. That's my plan for you, disciples. I know you're probably wondering, well, wait, are we going to have the kingdom now that you said you're going to come and rule Israel? And, and, and that's true. And he, he affirmed that, yes, we'll, we'll come back. There's a, the Father has a time for that, that we'll come back and we'll resume the throne on Israel. And, but, but for now, you, it's your business to, I got, I got some work for you to do. You don't need to twiddle your thumbs and, and do other things. And it, now it's time to, to communicate the gospel to the whole world. You know, it's interesting. Jesus tells his plan for the church. It's to basically communicate the gospel to the whole world. And there's some things that, are, that, that uh, also come on the, um, as sub-points to that, you could say. And that is, of course, baptizing and discipling people. But you know, Jesus' main plan for the church is not political. He never said that. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about politics. He, doesn't, he just doesn't care about it as much as he cares about people's spiritual condition. You know, his plan isn't political. And it doesn't mean that a church might not have a, a voice that sounds political. The problem with our messaging from our church to, to liberals is they think we're political when we're actually, we're just preaching the Bible and it gets into their, it, it gets into their um, you know, soft spots, I guess. If they want to talk about, you know, things of taking life of, of babies in the womb and stuff, it's, well, now you're, actually, you're in our realm. <laughs> now we have to say something. But the purpose of the church is not political. It's not. Um, the purpose of the church is not really merely educational in the sense of just education itself for education's sake. It's not. The plan for the church is not even musical. I mean, we have music that I'm glad we have. We're going to try to probably get a better piano sometime, too. And, and um, you, you know, we do that. That's, that's just, that's a, that's a, that's a you know, uh, a sub-purpose, a sub-function. Music is a sub-function, not a main function of a church. Do you know that? It's like if there wasn't a church, we still could be musical because we're humans, right? I mean... The angels sang when they were made, started singing. And so it's music. We're all musical, church or no church. So it's not the main function of a church is to put out the best music, man. I want to see, want you to see how we worship, man, and all that. That No, no, that's trying to impress somebody with a show. And that's kind of a modern American phenomena to try to do that to draw people in. You know, the, the purpose of the church, I'm sorry, uh, this is going to be disagreement right here. The purpose of the church is not to come and worship. Did you know you're supposed to worship whether there was a church or not? You, if Adam was made and he was meant to worship, every person is meant to worship, whether it's church or not. We worship because we're humans and we have to belong to Jesus. It's a, it's a function of our church, but it's not the main function. If it was a main function, we would never, then, there's, then, then we don't need the tracks and stuff. You say, well, that's a form of worship. Worship does not mean go serve. Worship means bow down and adore. It does not mean to go serve. It doesn't even really mean to sing. It means bow down. 
And so the main function of a church is not even in a generic sense. Well, the, the purpose of a church is to glorify God. Okay? Did you know the purpose of everything is to glorify God? Everything. The purpose of a bird is to glorify God. The purpose of a horse is to glorify God. The purpose of, let's see, uh, a fish is to glorify God. Do you know how they, oh, but they do it in a specific way. How does a bird glorify God? By flying and tweeting really good. How does a horse glorify God? By running the way it was designed. How does a fish glorify God? By swimming the way it was designed. There's, a, there's an institutional or individual way we glorify God. How does the church glorify God? By this. So it's not this generic thing. Jesus says, my plan for the church and the way my church glorifies the Father, glorifies God, is through communicating the gospel to everybody. And there's some sub-functions to that. So God's, Jesus said, there's my plan. Now, what we'll look at, we'll try to do this. We're going to look at three aspects here that relate to his plan for the church. Three issues that relate to his plan for the church. The power that's related to his plan for the church. That's number one. Number two, the details of the plan itself. And number, number three, his presence. His presence as it relates to the plan for the church. Those three points, power, plan, and presence are right here in this text. Jesus' plan for the church is to be a communicator of the gospel and not a hider of it. I like, here's the first thing. He talks, first of all, he has something to say about his power. Verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So that sets the stage for everything else he's going to say. So here you have these 11 disciples. They've been discipled. They've been, they've spent time with Jesus. He's with them. He's about to tell them how they're going to carry out their, the rest of their lives, how they're going to lead the institution of this local church. And he starts out by saying, all right, gentlemen, I want you to know, here's where we start. All power is given unto me. The word power here is the idea of authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. So I want, before I tell you all what you're even going to do, I want you to know that whatever you go to start doing, you have the authority under me to do it. All power is given unto me. This is one thing I think I don't think enough of, is that all power, all authority is given to Jesus Christ in heaven and in earth. He has the authority to do and say whatever he wants. And if we, when he tells us to do something, we're operating under his authority, even if somebody protests against it. It's like this. It's, well, it's not. Let me tell you what it's not like. So we as Americans, we think whatever we are, whatever we do, it should apply everywhere because we're Americans. When we go into another country, whatever we've been doing and in, in whatever our ethic and way of life is, we think, well, that's how we do it in America. But you might be in another country like, well, that's not how we do it here. You might find, like, for instance, it'd be nice, probably some teenagers. We've got some teenagers driving here. When can you drive in America? Typically, when average age, when can you drive in the United States? 16, right? Some of you guys are happy about that. You wish it was like 12, right? <laughs> But at 16, that's the average age. There might be a few states that are different. You can drive in the United States. I looked up the average age that you can drive in, in a lot of the European countries is like 18, 17, 18. 
So that you can't go as a teenager and say, I'm going to take a trip to Europe this, this year. And you go over into Europe, and you're like, I, I, I drive. I'm 16. I got a license here in the United States. And you go to Europe, and you show up in, in the Netherlands or whatever, and you're, you're like, I'm going to go. I'm going to drive here. I'm going to rent a car. And you go to try to rent a car, and you fumble through the language or something. And although they probably already know English, we're the dumb ones. Um, and they, they say, well, how old are you? I'm 16. Well, you can't drive here. Why not? Well, you got to be 18. Yeah, but I can in the United States. Well, you're in a different realm now. You're in the Netherlands now. <laughs> Whatever. One of those countries, there, several of those countries are like that. So that authority that you are operating on over here in the United States, you go somewhere else, it's like, well, that authority doesn't mean anything to us on you, as far as you driving. You can't do that. Yeah, but I can't here. But you're not there. You're here in the United States. You're here in the Netherlands. You're not in the United States. That's not how it is with Jesus. His jurisdiction goes everywhere, all over, so that whatever he's telling me here, I can, I can live that somewhere else. His authority is all, all power is given unto him in heaven and in earth, so that when I'm obeying him, I'm operating under his authority, even if human laws don't like it. Even if human, and as it relates to gospel work, that's where we are willing to break laws. As it relates to incidental or, or what do you say, ancillary things, like I don't, the speed limit, of course I'd want it to be higher, but I'm not going to break the law on that. I'm told to obey that, even if it's not what I like. But as it relates to gospel stuff, well, that's where we got to stop. Um, and so Jesus starts out like, here's my plan for the church. Communicate the gospel. And I want you to know I have all authority in the whole world. So if anybody protests against it, don't worry about it. You're not disobeying me. Isn't that nice? What if I do whatever Jesus is saying anywhere in the world? If men don't like it, mm, that's okay. I might have some problems. But Jesus says you have my authority to follow me and to be a Christian everywhere. And so he says, power. First of all, gentlemen, I have all the power. I have all the authority. And everybody else is, you know, just at best some tin horn, uh, tin horn dictators is what they'd say, I guess. So power. And now he talks about the plan. So here's what he says now for us as a church. Let's look, let's look at the plan, that verse 19 and half of verse 20. First part of the plan, it's an aggressive plan. Whoa, go ye therefore. It's an aggressive plan. So Jesus is talking to the 11. There was other disciples that, were, that, that ended up being part of that early church, but he's talking to the disciples. He says, go therefore, guys. Get out therefore. And he says, go communicate the gospel. But this is interesting. He said, go. But you know what he said three years earlier when he started his ministry and got baptized by John? He said, hey, come. Matthew, come follow me. Uh, Peter, you guys come, come, come. Uh, you over there, come. And he collected his disciples, come, learn of me, follow me. And they came and they went into the three years of seminary. But now it's time to get out of seminary and go. You can't stay in seminary all the time. You can't stay in the Bible class all the time. You've done the coming. You've learned. We've done some mentoring. We've done some apprenticeship. I'm leaving, so go. You know what to do now. Christianity is come and go. It's a balance of come and go. Come learn of Jesus. Come worship Jesus. 
and then go. And not just go all the time. They got to come and learn of Jesus and, and uh, refresh and then go. It's not only one. It's not just this one. It's not just that one. But they were on this balance of, all right, guys, you've learned. You're graduated. Now go. Go ye therefore. At some point, our Christianity has to work outside this building. At all points, really. But at some point, it was like my, the, my Christianity must be expressing the gospel outside. It's got to be a go. I'm aggressive. I'm going. I'm getting out. Did you know when the, when the church was highly illegal in the first century, it went, mo- it went most. The, and, and even in Jerusalem here, pardon me, in the, in the next book or in the book of Acts, you know, they persecuted the church and they just kept going. They scattered and they kept going and kept going. And so our Christianity needs to be expressed everywhere in creative ways or whatever because Jesus said go and go ye therefore get out it's adventurous some of us like man I want to go somewhere good go somewhere with the gospel you know and so here's the go that's aggressive and then he says teach Uh, it's instructive go ye therefore and teach it doesn't mean now just go and, and and yell in somebody's face or go and do an information shove. Let me throw a bunch of information at you. Throw that at you. Throw that. Have a nice day. No, go and teach. That means, okay, let's get your attention. And I want you to listen to this. And you teach. The word teach is literally go disciple them. Get their attention. Get them to follow. All right, now listen to this. And go teach all nations. Go it's, it, 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 to get out there and... I have to grab people's attention, have to capture people's attention in order to teach them something and not merely just shove information. But he says, teach all nations. That means we should be willing and trying to get to every, the word nation is ethnicities. It's, that's where the word ethnicities comes from. Um, all ethnicities. Go ye therefore and teach all ethnicities. Uh, I hope, I don't know what's going to happen to this area of Gilbert, you know, we have always, Arizona's often been Hispanic on a balance, and we have a Spanish ministry in our church, we're thankful for that, but if it for some reason starts to go more Asian or more Middle Eastern or whatever it is in our area, at some point, our church has to look like that. If we don't, that means we're not doing our job. We have to look like whatever's around us, not in a worldly sense, but in an ethnic sense at some point, otherwise we're just starting to go like this, look at all these people around here how come all these people are speaking mexican well they don't speak mexican spanish how come well if that's the case then you got to go after them there's been churches like that and and they die in a downtown because they don't go after people that are moving around them we have to go to all nations that means ethnicities and besides the local ethnicities we want to support going to you know uh, other parts of the united states other parts of the world africa go into all the world. So we have to be minded that way, not just minded about our nice little cozy, uh, uh, cozy church setting. What about other ethnicities? And that implies going, therefore, God's plan for the church is to go and to teach and to teach all ethnicities. That would mean to figure out translations, translate Bibles, translate tracts, translate even and, and try to figure out even a different um, cultural ways as long as it's not immoral and try to figure out well I don't do that that we don't do it like that in America well forget that how do they do it how can I figure out how to be um, ethical in certain customs for another culture so that I can reach them and teach them 
you know. And so Jesus is saying, this is how the church should be. This is my plan to go. That's aggressive, to teach. That's instructive. And then baptize, baptizing them, that's identifiable. He says, baptize them. So people who, who learn, you capture their attention like we're trying to capture teens and kids' attention and adults. We, we, here's the gospel. Here's Jesus. We're sinners. He died for us. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. And we thoroughly teach the gospel. And people respond to that and say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. I want to be saved. I accept him as my Savior. And once a person does that, then we say, let's see, let's have you baptized then. Because that's Jesus' way to identify with him. That's not the only way, but it's the first step in showing that you mean business with God, in showing that you're a Christian, is to come forward in some baptismal waters at some, in some context and go a plunge under and come back out saying that you've trusted him as your Savior a savior, and you baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. It's, an, it's a symbol of that plunging in the water and coming out. It's a symbol of what Jesus did, plunging into death for us and coming out, rising from the dead. So people who believe, people who believe this gospel that we try to spread, we, we as a church say, yeah, we baptize people. We want to baptize somebody. We don't want to force somebody to be baptized. We don't go baptizing babies that don't know what they're doing. We don't go baptizing kids that haven't made a credible statement of faith. But we baptize a person who makes a credible statement of faith, whether it is a child or adult. We baptize them. We'll do everything we can to. One time, one time we, uh, believe it or not, it does get cold around here, and it was like the last day of the year, there was this kid named Jonathan Myers. In fact, his family moved, and he wanted to be baptized because he believed, and he gave me a credible statement of faith. And so we had this tank outside, and it was, it was like on a Wednesday night, and I could not get this water hot enough. Well, I had a little bit. My brother-in-law guy had like this bubble wrap thing that he did something in his pool. I don't know what it was. We put the bubble wrap thing in there. We put some hot water. The hot water got warm. Then it got cold. Then it was cool. I mean, then it ended up being cool. And I baptized this kid on a Wednesday night. Man, he wanted to be baptized. And I wanted to do everything I can to accommodate that so he can obey Jesus and identifying with Jesus. Like, yes, I belong to him. And he did, he did, we did the baptism for him. And so it's okay uh, for somebody to, um, um, you know, for, it's okay for us as a church to, to put that out there. Like, yeah, we want to baptize you. You haven't been baptized. We want to baptize you. And you should want to do it. Um, what is it? It's identifying with Jesus. It's amazing how people identify with everything else, but they won't identify with Jesus. People put a tattoo of something on themselves, you know, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I know it's very common now, but people put tattoos to identify with a team or some something, and they, they identify with that, but, but, they, but they won't get baptized. Which one matters, you know? Uh, we wear our favorite sports shirts. That's fine if you like a sport, but if you put on the jersey of baptism, so they mean business with God. Like, I, yes, I've trusted Jesus, and I'm not ashamed to say it, at least in this moment of baptism, like he said. And so Jesus is, this is my plan for the church. Teach the gospel, baptize, go out there, teach the gospel, baptize believers. And he says, this is my plan. Teach them again. Look what he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So this is also a comprehensive plan. He says you teach, that is you make them a disciple in the sense of trusting me as Savior. You baptize them, and then you go back and you teach them the rest of the stuff. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. I have not mastered it. I have not taught through every book in the Bible. But I know in some sense I'm obligated to teach the whole counsel, of God, even if I'm just giving the gist of it. 
I try to systematically work through books, but I'm obligated to show the whole counsel of God because Jesus says, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And so we don't want to pick and choose like, oh, yeah, I got, I'm saved and I'm a Christian now. That's nice. And God loves me and I'll never be uh, unsaved and just kind of forget the rest of the Bible. No, if we continue in his word, we're his disciples indeed. And so Jesus uh, wants us to teach the whole counsel. Uh, Paul says, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. I have not shunned to show you every scripture. Sometimes I meet with Christians. I've talked to Christians and like they know Christ. They know salvation. But if you bring up something else, I don't, I don't want to hear that. You know, I don't want to hear that. That's just your opinion. Well, what's your opinion of it? Well, I haven't really read that. Why don't you read it so you'll have an opinion about it? Because God has something to say about a lot of other things in life. He has something to say about our money. He has something to say about our modesty. He has something to say about our movies. He has something to say about our music. He has something to say about that stuff. See, we don't want to know if he has something to say about it because we don't want to follow it. But he has something to say, and I'm told to teach others to observe all things that he's commanded. Paul even told Timothy, I charge thee before God and the elect angels that thou observe these things without partiality, doing, doing nothing by partiality, he says. It, he, observe these things without preferring one before the other, doing nothing by partiality. He says, look at the whole book and, and teach the whole book. And so Jesus' plan for the church is the gospel, baptize people, and then teach them the rest of it. Now, the biggest part of it is the gospel. That's the most important part. But he says, teach them everything else I said. And his plan also is exclusive. He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We should be happy about this tonight or today in that the fact is, is that here we are, we're a local church, and that what are we under? We're under the obligation. We're under the, I should, I'll just say the pressure, the, the injunction, the command of God to teach his Bible, bring, uh, bring, teach the gospel, baptize believer, and teach everything else and stick with that. Whatsoever I have commanded you. He didn't say, and teach them other things that the trends are teaching you. Teach them the other thing that the traditions of the fathers have been teaching you, Baptist tradition or otherwise. No, I don't have to do that. I don't have to teach men's traditions. I don't have to teach men's trends. I don't have to teach men's commands. You were not under any obligation to those things. We're under obligation to teach God's commands. And he said, follow that, whatsoever I have commanded you. So that if this church finds itself untraditional one day, I don't care. I want to find myself biblical. So that if this church, if some people, you're just not trendy, I don't care if I'm trendy. I don't care if I'm traditional. I want to be Bible. That's what we want to be. Because we're supposed to observe all things whatsoever he's commanded us. And so it's a, it, that's his plan. And then he gets to the power, or pardon me, the presence, he says, of his plan. He says, whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, he says, even unto the end of the world. So here's Jesus speaking to the 11, the infant church, and we're receiving that 2,000 years later, the same thing that's still active for us. He's got all power. He's got a plan of share the gospel, baptize them, teach them some more. And remember, he's the one authorizing this stuff. Here we are listening to that, and then he ends it with, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to say something about Christ being with us. We know that he's with us individually if you're a Christian. He says that I, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, he says in Hebrews 13. 
Let your life, let your conversation be without covetousness for he, uh, and be content with such things as you have. For he had said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. If you've ever been left or forsaken or uh, 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 in a, you know, betrayed, he says, I'll never do that to you. He's with you always. And he says that his Holy Spirit is fulfilled in the fact that his Holy Spirit's within us. And once after that, you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the day of redemption. So you have God's presence through in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's not leaving you no matter how bad of a, how much of a bad boy or a bad girl you've been. He's with you always. But I think he's emphasizing even the fact of a local church sense. He says, here, guys, this is what you do. All power is given unto me. Get out there into the places you've never been, new smells, new languages, and figure a way of teaching them the gospel, baptize them, and teach them more. And I'm with you in this. Isn't that nice? That he's with us in this, you know. The, the you know you can travel to some places, and the United States might not like you going there as a citizen. No, oh, we don't know if you should be there. You can travel to some places, and they may not want to give you, or may not want to give you a passport to get to certain places. But Jesus says, if you're doing this, I'm with you. I am with you always, and so that if we as a church, whether we're, this church is big or small, if we're doing. If we're doing what Christ has commanded, we can even have that additional assurance. He's with us in this. I don't understand why, um, you know, certain churches get big and small or big, huge. Or I don't always understand it all. But all I know is if I follow Christ's plan, that pleases him. And he says, I'm with you always, even if you're this minority. I'm with you. Now, I don't want to be a minority that's self-righteous Pharisee. I don't want to be a minority that's wrong in a sense of a small congregation. I just want to be uh, pleasing to Christ. I want to be a church where everybody in this room, it's in your heart to share the gospel with somebody. If you're saved, it's in your heart to be baptized. If you have been saved and baptized, it's in your heart to go there to teach or to learn all the other things Jesus has said and not just keep it as a nice little bread uh, bread of, uh, what do you call that? The daily bread devotional. It's kind of daily crumbs, you know, that you really want to go forward and learn and say that this is, this is, this is, um, uh, this is the Christianity Jesus is talking about. Yes. And so this is his plan for the church. This is his plan for our church. I don't know. Um, we had building plans up there, and, and I still think that's, a, in general, a good idea. We had to take them down because we had this ladies' tea and everything. And, and I'm like, well, those plans taken down, and uh, maybe we'll adapt them one day. But I thought, you know, it doesn't even matter really what kind of building we have or go to. or It doesn't matter. That, that plan is not as important as this plan. That plan might even change, but this plan won't change. Did you know if our church goes into Mesa, the plan Jesus has for us is still the same. If our church uh, um, uh, you know, goes into Chandler or moves somewhere, his plan, his plan is still the same. A building plan might look different, but the, the plan that matters is still the same. If, if all of a sudden, you know, liberals take over everything and, and they start making um, what we're doing illegal, Jesus' plan is still the same. We might have to have a new little uh, strategies on applying it, but his plan is still the same. If all the, you know, if, if all the Republicans lost and all the Democrats win in the next election, it doesn't change this plan, you know. And if all the Republicans win and all the Democrats lose, it still doesn't change this plan. In fact, you should dig in on it more because sometimes we have false assurances when 
conservatives win than Republicans. We get a false assurance like everything's okay. It's not okay till people are saved. That's when it's okay for that individual. And so this is his plan for our church, and this is one thing we got to keep in mind. This is, gets applied during Bible time. That's why we're trying to bring kids in, bring teenagers in. This is why we support missions. This is why, um, you know, I try to get us to do visitation. It's why we have a track rack. It's, you know, and, and it's why we try to teach more than just the gospel in the, in the church, too. It's why we try to teach other parts of the Bible. It's Christ's plan for our church. We want to follow Christ's plan. And I want to ask you this as we bow our heads. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Or we're, we're closing. And I want to ask you, is there something where you say, I did not realize, really, that this was God's plan? But I want to make his plan part of my plans as a Christian. I want to make the importance of baptism. I've been saved, but I haven't been baptized. That's, if that's his plan, then I want that. If it's his plan to, 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 to continue in his word and, and be taught to observe all things and not just a few things, then, then, I, then I want that part of my plan too. If, if it's Jesus' plan to, to get out, for the church to get out, then, then I want that. Then, then I want that part of my plan, too. If that, if that resonates in your heart, why don't you speak that back to the Lord? If something in his plans have touched on your plans, then speak back to him in prayer. But all I know is that this is the focus of our church. This is what the focus of our church should be, and, and I hope it stays that way no matter what year it is on the calendar.